incredible sight. Fans have taken their shirts off and are letting off dozens and dozens of flares. They're pink and blue and white. Kiev ultras are now wreathed in smoke. This is the Olympic Stadium in Kiev, and I'm here because I'm a football fan. But even if you're not a football fan, what's going on here is a way to tell the story of what's been happening in Ukraine. I've been reporting for RTE News from Ukraine over the past year. It began with the massacre of protesters in Kiev, followed by Russia's annexation of Crimea. Then the civil war erupted in the east, and a Malaysian Airlines passenger plane was shot down with a loss of nearly 300 lives. But what has all that got to do with football? Well, one of the teams playing here is called Shakhtar Donetsk. A once modest club bought by a controversial billionaire. He wanted the club to reflect his own ambitions, one that would dominate at home and in Europe. First this morning, where there's a wall of flames across one of the main squares. But the club's race to glory has been thwarted by the forces that have been unleashed in the country. Protesters, anti-government protesters. Yesterday. The story of FC Shakhtar Donetsk is really the story of Ukraine. It's about borders and politics, money and power, personalities and celebrities, and more than that. The people involved in running Ukraine have also been intimately involved in running its football. Tonight's match is the latest phase in the compelling story of Shakhtar Donetsk. That phase began over 20 years ago and it began with a hand grenade. It's a lovely crisp evening in October. There are 22 players taking part in a training match. This team in front of me is Shakhtar Donetsk. One of the players on the pitch is a young millionaire. He's tall, has long hair and a beard. His teammates tease him that he looks like Jesus. When he started with the club, he was just 15. He travelled from the agricultural centre of Ukraine to the industrial east. He was expecting a pretty grim Soviet-era city, and he got it. But when he saw the training ground, he was surprised. Everything was amazing. Perfect pitch, fantastic apartment. We had clothes, everything. The food is good. Paradise. Of course, the origins of FC Shakhtar Donetsk were far more basic. One of the club's senior managers is an Englishman, Joe Palmer. When he talks about Shakhtar's beginnings, he always mentions the slag heap. That sort of rises right next door to the stadium. And they used to have 10,000 miners would sit on the side of this and look over into the stadium to watch the games. 
The grandchildren of those miners nowadays don't sit on slag heaps. If you can't get into a stadium these days, you just switch on the computer. I have online matches in Ukrainian Premier League. That's where these guys come in. Tomorrow, you know, Manchester United, Everton. They're online football journalists specializing in just about every league in Europe. Juventus Roma, it's the biggest match in Italy. Ukraine has 44 million people. That's a lot of football fans. They have their own websites and TV stations. When I talk to these guys about Shakhtar Donetsk, one name keeps coming up. And Renat Akhmetov broke the system. Everything depends on Akhmetov. Akhmetov. Today, he's the billionaire owner of Shakhtar. I want to congratulate the supporters of FC Shakhtar on winning the championship and the cup. But long before he was the owner, back in 1995, he took one of the most important journeys of his life. It was nearly his last. He was driving to a league match in Shakhtar's old stadium. Suddenly there was an explosion right in the middle of the game. A local crime boss was assassinated by a hand grenade. This was par for the course in mid-90s Donetsk. The Soviet Union had collapsed and armed criminal gangs battled it out on the streets for control of state-owned industries. In this resource-rich part of Ukraine, that meant highly lucrative coal mines and steel mills. The story goes that Akhmetov's car was stuck in traffic. That's why he survived the assassination attempt on the crime boss. But the boss was actually a business partner of Akhmetov. He also happened to be the president of FC Shakhtar Donetsk. After his death, Akhmetov took over and became the new boss. President Akhmetov had ambitions to move beyond the crime and chaos of the business world in eastern Ukraine. Taking over a small regional club was part of those ambitions. He signaled his intent at a news conference. He said, we will be champions. Sasha Denisov runs a football TV station part-owned by Akhmetov. And some journalists just laugh at, who are you? Who is Shakhtar? Nobody believed in something like this. But Akhmetov had plenty of self-belief and plenty of money. To turn a Cinderella club into a European super team would require a plan. The first step was to build a state-of-the-art training centre that would rival the best of the English Premiership and attract good local players to a grim industrial region. You know, you can't bring top talent to a country like Ukraine if you haven't got fantastic facilities. You know, you show a player around just a a dodgy football pitch and a a horrible training base, they're not going to want to come. What does it mean, attractive games? Because Mr. Akhmetov, he always wants very tasty as he said, very tasty game. And where does a billionaire go for the tasty game? Where else? Here's Zeno. Oh, it's not a bad ball for Pelle on the right side. It's Carlos Alberto. 
What is striking from this vantage point is that most of the players playing here in this training game are from Brazil. They've come from South America all the way to the far east of Ukraine to make their living as professional footballers. Akhmetov was clear on what his ideal team would look like. Ukrainian defenders, Brazilian midfielders and mix of strikers with the short passes, with the quick players, with the speed in front. Akhmetov's plan worked. The most popular, it was a guy with the name Matuzalem. Fantastic player. You can take a look goal when he scored to Sevilla. Like Scorpion, you know. <laughs> so it was terrific. Soon the domestic Premier League titles were rolling in. Excuse my appearance, the lads covered me in champagne, but it's better to have this problem than not. But 2009 was the big year. Shakhtar won the UEFA Cup, beating the German side Werder Bremen 2-1 in Istanbul. Shakhtar's website shows Akhmetov front and centre as the club grabbed European glory. He even climbed the podium to help collect the UEFA Cup. But he was after a bigger trophy. Ownership of Shakhtar was not just a vanity project. There was a greater political prize. It's the question of money and power and political power specifically, they are very much intertwined in Ukraine. Pavel Klimenko is a football researcher. Whoever does business, whoever does big business, has to have access to power. And in order to be elected, you have to have support from the population. And that's why you need a tool that would make it legitimate. So Shakhtar was a tool that would give Akhmetov local legitimacy. He was, after all, a man who'd made his billions from coal and steel in a region where those who mined it earned less than €200 Euro a month. Local pride at the club's success meant Akhmetov was not just accepted, but popular. People don't usually like oligarchs who made fortune in a very poor region, but if they feel he has some kind of social responsibility, he's giving back, that creates legitimacy. So he was quite successful in that. Legitimacy in turn brought him political power. He was a close ally of a local politician named Yanukovych. He helped Yanukovych campaign for the presidency of Ukraine, which Yanukovych won in 2004. Good news for Akhmetov to have his man in the main job in Kiev, but it wasn't to last. The so-called Orange Revolution got in the way. This was a protest against the new president, Viktor Yanukovych. 
after yesterday's international mediation that this crisis has undergone something of a shift. But despite the talks that are going on all weekend, there's a real sense that this opposition movement is now unstoppable. The street protests were also against perceived daily corruption on a massive scale. Ukraine is regarded by most observers as one of the most corrupt countries in the world. Viktor Yanukovych was found to have rigged the presidential election which brought him to power. Before his ally was driven from office, Akhmetov was able to buy a steel mill for 600 million euro. When the new pro-Western government came in, the sale was cancelled. The steel mill was later sold for nearly 4 billion euro. Despite the setback to his political patron, Renat Akhmetov continued with his footballing dream. He built a futuristic stadium, the 50,000-seater Donbass Arena, at a cost of 400 million euro. The opening ceremony featured elaborately choreographed dancers dressed as miners. The name Shakhtar means miner. The stadium would become the club's new home, but not before a bizarre incident involving the American R&B star Beyonce and Akhmetov's political ally. In 2009, she was paid to sing at the opening of the dazzling new arena. It was to be the culmination of sport, money and even celebrity bling in a far-flung mining district of Eastern Europe. It was all going well until Beyoncé discovered that she was being bumped out of her suite at the Yakmetov-owned hotel by none other than Viktor Yanukovych. He was on the way back. Six months later, he would be elected president for a second time. Euro 2012 is not a happy memory here in Ireland. Our matches in Poland were a disaster. In eastern Ukraine, though, the memories are good. Akhmetov's Donbass Arena was chosen to host one of the semi-finals. Things were looking good. Viktor Yanukovych was back in power and Donetsk was basking in the afterglow of hosting the Euros. Akhmetov and Yanukovych consolidated their popularity by developing the city. There were new roads, hotels and jobs. But there was a problem. Whatever about the Euros, Shakhtar was struggling to fill the Donbass arena for league games. It was time to call in a sports marketing guru. My name's Joe Palmer. Originally my background was in marketing and advertising. The most important step that we did was to put in place Western standard stewarding. Before that you kind of had militia, you know, some with guns. It wasn't a place that was conducive to having families and, and children. You know, in a lot of these stadiums, a lot of people were sort of put off because it was quite, you know, very male environment. And one of the, the most important things was to create the atmosphere. That was something that was lacking. And particularly, 
it's not surprising when you grow attendances so quickly, you know, when you're bringing people who are not perhaps not used to sort of singing at a stadium. So we had to focus on sort of developing maybe two or three songs a season. So over a period of time, we'd work with our ultras group who would sing a song and then they'd work with the different sides of the stadium to also repeat that song. Gradually over the four years, you know, we sort of had a repertoire of maybe five or six sort of chants and songs that everyone knew and understood and knew when to, to chant. And typically what would a Saturday afternoon crowd be? By last year, sort of four years later, we had an average of 42,000, which put us at number one in Eastern Europe. Not just number one in terms of attendance, Shakhtar was becoming a model club in terms of management and accountability, this in a country notorious for its corruption. Shakhtar Donetsk is an example of a Ukrainian club that has a very transparent system. Young football journalists outside a cafe in Kiev. They have very transparent taxation system, salary systems. Our country is rotten, rotten with corruption. From high level to the low point, it's all corruption. So comparing this club to other Ukrainian clubs, uh, they're very transparent at how they do business. And it is another example of how European this club really is. That's interesting. For most of us, Europe is the place we live. But for these young football experts, it's an ideal. It represents a set of values they feel don't exist in Ukraine. That was never more obvious than when, just a year after the heights of Euro 2012, President Viktor Yanukovych suddenly rejected a trade agreement with Europe. He did so under significant pressure from the Kremlin. It would bring hundreds of thousands onto the streets in protest. Tonight, Kiev's Independence Square is again the scene of a tense standoff between anti-government protesters and police. Independence Square, also known as Maidan, was once again filled with protesters who believed Yanukovych was deliberately turning the country away from a European destiny towards a Russian one. The protests continued through the winter with attitudes hardening on both sides and casualties mounting. One man watching anxiously from afar was Shakhtar defender Dmitry Shagrinsky. My parents, they were active protesters. My father is very calm. When he called me, I said, uh, like, what are you doing there? Just please don't do me because I know that for many times he said to me that my life is not important. I want to that my children, I wish that they were living in an independent, like free country. In Ukraine, 26 people have died and hundreds of protesters and police have been injured. EU foreign minister... Bodies have been streaming into the Hotel Ukraine over the past hour. We know that at least eight people have died so far. Paul Cunningham, RT News, Kiev. We were in Czech Republic. We played first game of qualification of UEFA. In the day of the game, we were like 
how to play now is is incredible or watching uh, your news it was terrible tensions within the Shakhtar dressing room heightened some believed Viktor Yanukovych the staunch ally of the club's president was responsible for the deaths of so many innocent civilians others argued that Yanukovych was not to blame they didn't support him about these killings but they said it was not his fault and the others was like aggressive about this bullshit. So uh, one side was saying it was Yanukovych's fault, the other was saying it wasn't, it was somebody else's fault. And they were like, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous. I don't want to hear this. There was international outrage. Yanukovych fled to Russia. A new government was voted in by parliament, but this was seen as a coup d'etat by many living in the east, Akhmetov's power base. It looked like civil war was looming. Shakhtar Donetsk was caught in the middle. Joe Palmer, Shakhtar's English marketing man, was in Donetsk at the time. The rebels took over the regional administration building and barricaded themselves into there, and I lived next door to that building. So every morning I'd look out the window and I'd see sort of snipers on the roof and people walking around. And, um, and it was funny because they were there and we'd sort of... But everyone was still going about their daily lives. You know, I had no problem walking past it and, you know, people would look at you. But, you know, at the end of the day, these were people who were... A lot of them were Donetsk people, people who were, you know, your friend. These are people who would be at the stadium on a Saturday? Some of them, possibly. Things were coming to a head. National elections were scheduled for the end of May, which pro-Russian rebels vowed to disrupt. That's when I decided to sort of grab as much of my stuff as possible and take it to England just in case. And obviously I went back and, and two days later it, it really did kick off and the airport got bombed, so I couldn't fly back there anyway. The crisis posed an excruciating dilemma for Renat Akhmetov. He was a product of the East, of its mines and steel mills, its violent business culture and its close links with Russia. Owning Shakhtar had cemented his ties to the working population – Yet the club was thriving on the very European aspirations that had driven the pro-Western demonstrations in Kiev. Pavel Klemenko, the football researcher. He was manufacturing the products, the kind of products you would see in Western Europe. And he was offering the people a touch of the things they were not getting elsewhere. from Kiev and Moscow met in Berlin to try and find a solution to the continuing fighting in eastern Ukraine between rebels and Ukrainian forces. The Ukrainian military moved into the heart of the separatist With the country threatening to break apart, Akhmetov eventually went against the separatists and appealed for Ukrainian unity. No one will frighten us, including those calling themselves a Donetsk People's Republic. Just tell me, please, does anyone in Donbass know at least one representative of this DPR?
Agnetov paid steelworkers to patrol the streets and protect his factories. And he organized what he called a peace march inside Shakhtar's arena. He spoke by video to a near-empty stadium. But to some, his coming off the fence was far from convincing. He turned pro-Ukrainian, but still many people connect him to the old elites. And in the East, everything started as a reaction of the old elites to the events that happened in Kiev. So a lot of people believe he was connected to how it started, but then it got out of control with Russian intervention. He had basically no choice as well not to turn pro-Ukrainian. He doesn't say he anything. Just, just so. Back at the cafe in Kiev, our young football bloggers have even stronger views. He didn't stop the situation when it begins. He, he was the king, you know. He was the king. He has all the possibilities to stop that. So when the war began, he betrayed his own people, pro-Soviet people. He betrayed them. He betrayed everything. He didn't have... Uh, he betrayed so his he, fans, he, his which is more important. He betrayed his fans. That sense of betrayal was evident on the streets of Donetsk. At a pro-Russian rally in Lenin Square, Akhmetov was denounced by an angry crowd. Protesters marched on his mansion and swam in the swimming pool. And from the pro-European side, a small group protested outside Akhmetov's penthouse apartment in London. He'd paid 170 million euro for it three years ago. On the football front, Shakhtar had already won the Premier League and the Ukrainian Cup final, but in July there was more bad news. Both UEFA and the Ukrainian League declared that Shakhtar could no longer play any of its home games at home in their storied Donbass arena. The timing was perfect because we managed to finish the league. The league was finished. When you were seeing this unfold... You had worked on your strategy for four years. You had these dreams of building this club and giving it brand recognition around the world. I mean, at what point did you think that your dreams were dissolving before your very eyes? I don't know. I can't say that the dreams have completely dissolved. You know, obviously we've been made homeless. I think that kind of says it all when you can't play in your stadium, you know, and, and the team have to live in a completely different city. You know, it's not a normal situation. The decision to move the team out was made just in time. At the end of the summer, Shakhtar's facilities were attacked by artillery fire. The Donbass Arena, where Beyoncé had performed, suffered damage to its futuristic facade and much of the training base, which had so impressed the young Dimitri. It was damaged beyond use. Across the country, Ukrainians are still coming to terms with the events of the past year. Russia has annexed Crimea. The civil war in the east is still claiming the lives of dozens of civilians, rebels and soldiers, despite an official ceasefire. But football is still being played, and fans are still travelling to matches.
Glory to Ukraine, glory to heroes. It's now early October, a Sunday night in Kiev. Shakhtar Donetsk is officially homeless. Hundreds of staff and players have had to shift the entire operation to the capital. Tonight, they're playing their old rivals, Dynamo Kiev, in the Olympic Stadium in the capital. I've just met uh, three football supporters. I've met two Andrews. One Andrew supports Shakhtar Donetsk, the other Andrew supports Dynamo Kiev. Andrew, you were saying in the bar there that your parents have moved to Crimea. Yes, my father is 72 and mother is 70 years. He was born in the Soviet Union and they living in the Soviet Union almost their lives. That's why in Crimea they like Russian youth. They like Russian style of life. They support Putin, Mr. Putin and do not understand the Ukrainian, do not understand his own son, me. So your parents are living in Crimea and and you're living in Kiev. Yeah. And my parents happy and they as my mother says we are praying for Mr. Putin. I can't understand them because I hate Mr. Putin, but my parents <laughs> love him. And what do your parents think of you living here in Kiev? Yes, they think I'm Banderas. <laughs> they think you're Bandera. What does that mean? Banderas is a hero from western Ukraine. part of Ukraine, so Soviet history, they do not like a Bandera. And uh, they think we are Nazis. And <laughs> so, your, so your parents think that you're essentially a Nazi or a fascist? Uh, maybe not me, but they think that I uh, on this road <laughs> to, to, to came Nazi. I would have presumed that the hardcore, sometimes violent fans from the east of Ukraine would have aligned themselves passionately with the majority pro-Russian sentiment there. These fans are known as ultras. Ultra is one of the best kind of support because we can, we always use our voice, our hands, our scarves. Our Meet legs, Vlad, a 21-year-old Shakhtar ultra. Ultras are patriots, nationalists. It's our home, Ukraine. So it turns out that rather than support Russia, the ultras of Shakhtar have gone the opposite direction. It's normal when you love your country, but uh, not uh, every human can understand this. Pavel Klemenko, the football researcher, explains. The ultras in Donetsk would probably be less nationalist, but they would still conform to the general patterns of the ultra subculture. You know, right-wing views and Ukrainian nationalism. So this was a thing you had to conform to, to be accepted in the ultra scene. In fact, Shakhtar Ultras had already fallen out with Renat Akhmetov and his very modern, family-friendly ideas at the Donbass Arena. It all began with an ultra chant from the terrace, all about the president of the Russian Federation, Vladimir Putin. The story is taken up by our bloggers outside the Kiev cafe. When they started to sing a song about Vladimir Putin, administration of uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, they banned them from the stadium, ultras. What, what were they singing? Putin is a dick. Dickhead. Dick Putin head, is yeah. a dickhead. It's something like that. If you, you la, 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 Putin, But ultra-defiance of Vladimir Putin, who they blame for arming and encouraging separatist rebels, is no laughing matter. 
someone leaked the police database of different far-right political organizations and ultras as well. So there was a lot of names there, there was a lot of pictures, and that's what was used later on by separatists as well. So those who didn't leave, they are at high risk. Guys from our Aldros, from Shakhtar Donetsk, got lost. Aldros. They're, they're missing. Yeah, they're missing. Maybe they died. In fact, many ultras from Shakhtar and other clubs have joined volunteer battalions to fight against the rebels, some paying with their lives. Um, have you thought about going to join the battalions? <laughs> sure, uh, I have uh, thought, and, um, but uh, my parents would not let me. We're inside the stadium now. Tonight's match will have a critical impact on the top of the table. Vlad is sitting on the railings presiding over a tight phalanx of Shakhtar Ultras. Despite having travelled eight hours to get here, he's not actually watching the match. Instead, he's leading the chance with his back to the game. Kiev versus Donetsk is historically the big grudge match. Often marked by violent clashes between rival fans, it's known as the Ukrainian Derby. But the crisis in the East has forged something extraordinary between normally bitter rivals. Well, there's just been an incredible dialogue, if you like, between the two sets of ultras on my left, the Dynamo Kiev. Ultras have been chanting, glory to the heroes, glory to the heroes. And the Shakhtar Donetsk ultras have answered, glory to Ukraine, glory to Ukraine. I, I can't imagine such cooperation taking place between rival sets of fans anywhere in Europe. It's an incredible sight. The stadium has lit up with flares as Dynamo Kiev have gone one nil up against Shakhtar Donetsk. Fox really ticking off. There's the final whistle. Ground behind me erupts with joy as Dynamo Kiev have beaten their fierce rivals Shakhtar Donetsk 1-0. What will this mean now for Shakhtar Donetsk, the homeless club, the refugee club? The refugee club. Can it survive, never mind reach the heights of European glory? Already, six of the club's Brazilian stars had to be coaxed back after they refused to turn up this summer for training. They said they'd feared for their lives. It's been an incredibly successful team for the past uh, 10, 15 years. Do you think it can continue that success in the current circumstances? Yes, of course, as long as Akhmetov have no problems with this government. Everything depends on Akhmetov. He's understand how important it is for the country to help bring some peace to the region by keeping its number one club. Because it would have been very easy for him to just say, right, 
that's it. I'm leaving this, I'm going, taking my money, but not at all. In fact, Rinat Akhmetov's money is not as mobile as his club. Much of it is tied up in his vast companies in the East, companies that a breakaway republic might want to nationalise. Donetsk must not be bombed. Negotiations. 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 Who will return the sons to their mothers? Who will return the husbands to their wives? Who will return the fathers to their children? Those who hope that Shakhtar can somehow be a unifying force have drawn comfort from its Champions League match against FC Porto played in Lviv in the west of Ukraine almost a thousand kilometres from Shakhtar's home. The turnout far exceeded expectations. 33,000, I think it's almost capacity. It's almost like they were excited to have Shakhtar there. I mean, the team feels support when we play in Kyiv, when we play in Lviv. I mean, the people support us more than before. It's quite weird being homeless as a football club. Not many clubs go through that experience. We have home. I mean, we have home in Ukraine. <laughs> means that the team has a future. I began by trying to tell a self-contained story about football and politics in Ukraine, but of course this story can't be contained. As we were concluding the programme, two very different pieces of news came through about FC Shakhtar. Their stadium was bombed again. In fact, a horrifying image of a young girl very narrowly surviving the attack has gone viral on social media. Two days later, Shakhtar won their latest Champions League match by a staggering seven goals to nil. Shakhtar's flamboyant and controversial manager, Rinat Akhmetov, was a frequent media presence earlier in the year. But he's not giving interviews now. Perhaps, like most Ukrainians, he's preoccupied with the economy, which is set to contract in 2014 by almost 10%. So a story that began by meeting Ukrainians to talk about football invariably ended up listening to them talking about war. If the war comes to Kyiv or close to Kyiv, I'm thinking about that, what I'm going to do. I'm going to Dubai or I'm going to defend my country, you know, my friends, my relatives. I have a close circle of friends and uh, some of my friends were already mobilized to the army. Some of them paid to not go there. Did you just think the, the, it isn't our war? We have hope, yeah. You know, we have hope that everything will be fine. But the hope is really small. Sometimes I ask myself, what I am doing at Sunday evening in the studio, we discuss football. Who need it now, when it's war? But I answer to myself, I do what I have to do, because 
football is still part of our life. Maybe some people now will watch football moments, not only political news, just to forget about everything. I think it's important. Здравствуйте. И Александр Семидов. Ну и без раскачки в ходе матч, который мы только что закончили смотреть. Расклады перед игрой были абсолютно очевидны. Шахтеру было важно не отпустить от себя Днепр, не потерять дистанцию.